If you will turn now to Jonah chapter 4. <clears throat> Jonah chapter 4. This is our last week in the, as studying the book of Jonah. Uh, we've been in, in this week for just over a month now. Uh, next week we're going to begin a new series uh, where we're just going to be preaching through the Psalms um, over the course of the summer. So we're calling the series Psalms for Summer. Um, that's how clever we can be here. Um, Psalms give words to our feelings. The Psalms are actually God's uh, worship book to us, and they are meant to give words from God to us to repeat back to him, uh, words really to our feelings and emotions. Um, and I think that's really much needed today because emotions, especially in America, can be seen as a bad thing or a sign of weakness, and that's just not true. I went to a conference recently, uh, and it was on the Psalms. David Taylor was the, uh, was the teacher there, and he told of growing up in Guatemala until he was 13 years old. And, um, and when he came to, the, they, they moved to Chicago when he was 13 years old, and David was just assaulted by the fact that everyone in America was sort of emotionally constipated and couldn't express themselves. And he was a 13-year-old boy trying to, to fit in with a new crowd, and every now and then he'd cry, and they would say, boys, don't cry. And David was just crushed, and for years he stuffed his emotions um, because it was socially unacceptable um, to express them. David, in this, in this conference, was telling us that if you don't, like, God, God, gives you the words to express. Some of these psalms are just radical. I mean, they're profane. They are crying out laments. They are dancing with joy, expressing their, yourselves. And, and God wants us to do that. Now, um, I'm not saying that we need to bust out in all the amens and the clapping during service. That's not, not what this is about. It would be fine with me. But... Um, that's not what this is about. But there's something of our emotions that really uh, lead us deeper into what it means to be a human created in the image of God. And so we're going to be looking at the Psalms um, over the, the course of the next uh, several months. The, uh, <clears throat> I, I do have a project for you to prepare for that, if you'd like. Um, and that project is to write your own psalm. Um, have you ever sat down and just written a psalm? For yourself, pouring out your own laments, your own joys, your own anger. Um, this is a good thing to do. And if any of you would like to do that and publish it in the bulletin for us, we would love to, we would love to uh, hear from you. We can do it anonymously if it's a little bit too close to home, but we would love to hear from you. So um, that's your project for the next few months. Write your own psalms. Um, obviously, there's been lots of emotion <laughs> this week. Um, if you're visiting with us, if this is your first time with us, you have come on a weird Sunday. Um, I resigned last week uh, from the senior pastor here. Oh, I'm going to cry today. Um, I may sing too, so I'm going to do both. Um, I resigned last week, and for me, this week has been uh, a week full of Emotion. It's been a, an emotional week for my family um, and for you too. I've had conversations all 
week long, and there have been lots of tears and lots of confusion and, and some anger, too. Uh, that's good. Thank you for expressing yourself. Um, express yourself. Some of you I've met with don't know what to do with your feelings, and, and so I hope the series in the Psalms will help, help you find words to what's going on in your heart. Um, more of that to come. We'll be around for a little while longer. Um, but for now, let's turn to Jonah 4, where there is very one big emotion happening in Jonah 4, and that is Jonah's unrighteous anger. Um, do you struggle with anger yourself? This morning, maybe you uh, blew your top. Um, maybe you're just angry to be here. Someone dragged you here. Um, some anger is really good and righteous and beautiful, like the anger that comes in the face of injustice, right? That's good anger. That's righteous anger. But a lot of our anger is unrighteous. And the, the emotion that we see here from Jonah in Jonah chapter 4 is of that variety. He is frosted at the mercy of God. He is angry at God and, um, because God has shown mercy to the Ninevites. We're going to dive into that anger now as we look at Jonah chapter 4. This is Jonah 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so the book of Jonah ends right there with that dangling question. Uh, do you ever... Uh, do you ever do those online surveys like what Parks and Rec character are you or uh, what office character are you? Uh, the fam most famous one is like what Winnie the Pooh character are you? I always get Winnie the Pooh. Shocking, I know. 
I really have always wanted to be Tigger, but I get Winnie the Pooh. Um, we do that with Bible characters, too. Um, and that's not a bad thing to do. That's actually not a bad hermeneutic. It's not a, a bad thing to take the characters of the Bible and, and ask, how, how is he like me, or how is she like me? What questions are these characters wrestling with? What, what hardships do they face? What, um, what sin are they dealing with? The Bible means for us to do that, means for us to wrestle, um, and that's really what it means for us to do with Jonah as we've been wrestling all through this book. What can we learn? What can we apply to our lives here? Um, one of the most obvious uh, biblical comparisons, like which character in the Bible are you, um, comes in the parable, parable of the prodigal son, um, which is probably Jesus' most famous parable. Uh, parable. Um, it's in Luke chapter 15, um, and it lends, the, the writing lends us to say, hey, which one are you? Which brother are you? Are you the younger brother, the prodigal son, who's the rebel, who's the bad boy, who runs away from God? Or are you the, the good boy, the, the rule follower, the older brother? Which are you? The truth is, I think that there are both of them in all of us, and both of them for sure in Jonah. I can't help but think that Jesus didn't have Jonah in mind as he was telling the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, we saw at the beginning of the book that Jonah was just like the prodigal, leaving home, running away from the father to Tarshish and reckless living, right? Woohoo! We're going to spend the money. We're gonna ha I always picture like uh, Jonah in a toga, like going to a Tarshish toga party. Um, we're off. The prodigal son... But now in chapters 4, Jonah becomes the older brother. If you uh, don't know the story of the prodigal son, basically the prodigal who goes off and parties returns home um, and receives the mercy of his father. And that mercy makes the older brother really angry. Really angry. Um, and so... We see that here in Jonah, too. I've always actually associated myself with the prodigal. Um, some of you all know my story um, of, of rebellion and running away from God for many years. Um, but I think, honestly, I'm more like the older brother. Um, so I can relate to this dual nature in Jonah. The older brother is enraged by the father's mercy. How can you celebrate him coming home? Why are you, why are you slaughtering the fatted calf for him? Why am, you've never done that for me, and I've, all, I've kept the rules. The older brother is frosted at the mercy of God, as is Jonah here. There are two questions God poses here to get to what's going on in Jonah's hearts. Those two questions come to us as well. Do you, well, do, you do well to be angry, verse 4, and should I not 
pity Nineveh. Verse 11. Well, you, brothers and sisters, uh, the, the, the end of the story is left open for the purpose of you wrestling with those questions yourself. And you have to wrestle with them. And you should wrestle with them. Um, but I'm going to point out a few things that the Lord has been teaching me through those questions. And I hope they will be of some benefit to you this morning. Two points of challenge, really, of what fuels Jonah's and my unrighteous anger. Two points. They don't alliterate, I'm sorry. Um, but two points. One is Jonah's sense of entitlement, and the other is Jonah's self-pity. Sense of entitlement. Well, um, we hear it in the older brother, right? I'm the one who deserves the fatty calf, and we see it in Jonah and ourselves too, at least I do. If you're like me, you sometimes feel entitled to certain perks or benefits in this life, entitled to a, a way of being treated or a certain status at work or among friends. We all have a sense of entitlement to some degree or another. Anger if circumstances are not what we think we deserve, right? Uh, we're so often, I think, like kids at Christmas who throw a fit when they don't get everything on their list, right? You ever do that? Sometimes when we don't get what we want, it can feel like an injustice, can it? I certainly know it can for our kids. What? Why didn't I get what I want? And that's what we see, certainly in Jonah here too. Life is not what he planned. And he is angry, and that comes out of a sense of entitlement. How many... Uh, how, Audience participation. Uh, how many Amy Grant fans are there out there? Yeah, like, like eight of you. And, and seven of you are like, mm. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. Thank you for being predictable. Um, we are not cheesy Christian music fans here. We live in cool Austin music town. Not gonna sing your praise to I, I watched a movie, the reason I bring it up is I watched a movie on Rich Mullins, who was a contemporary of Amy Grant at that time and the, the wonderful um, dawn of 80s uh, Christian music. And uh, it was a phenomenal. Um, not because it was of its cinematography, but because it told the story of a man who is, who was, died in a car wreck, who was wrestling all the time with Jesus Christ. Like, that's what his life was just about. It was like, I just want to know Christ and him crucified. Um, he's, he's a remarkable life, and yeah, he wrote some pretty cheesy Christian songs, um, one of which was a song called Doubly Good to You that he wrote for his future wife while they were dating. Um, that future wife broke his heart. So he gave the song to Amy Grant to sing. You may remember that song. It talks about um, seeing the moon over the field and if, if you see the wind, feel the wind in your hair and the sunset, that's so great. Um, you can thank the Father 
I'm not singing that one. You can thank the Father for the things that he has done, and you can thank him for the things he's yet to do. And then here's the clincher. It says, if you find a love that's tender, if you find a love that's true, then thank the Lord because he's been doubly good to you. Do you feel the tension in that? Do you feel the tension in that? Single people, do you feel the tension in that? What if I don't find a love that's true? Does that mean God doesn't love me? Um, Later in the film, he's interviewed uh, by this disc jockey, Rich Mullins is, for writing the song. Um, And he challenges Mullen on this very tension. Um, He's been heartbroken by his girlfriend. Uh, Now does he regret that he wrote this song and he's going to live a life of celibacy? Isn't that a hard song now? Um, It implies that God doesn't give you what's doubly good. Um, It's hard for us who struggle with a sense of entitlement. Mullen's response was uh, assaulting in some ways and um, yet true. He said, God doesn't have to be singly good to us. We all have more than we deserve. Listen, loneliness is a plague. I have never, as a pastor, um, had more people come to me with profound loneliness than I have in the last several years here. I mean, it's just such, it's such a plague. And I'm sorry. It, it should be grieved. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It should be grieved. And for those of you who long uh, for a boyfriend or a girlfriend or to be married... Um, It is absolutely right for you to cry out to God in that loneliness. Don't hear that from what Rich Mullins is saying. Um, But Mullins' point is, while not popular, it is true. We do have a sense of entitlement to the privileges of life. We have a sense of entitlement to get what we want, right? And we see that in Jonah. It's not fair. Jonah is saying, it's just not fair. The Ninevites don't deserve the fatted calf, but I do. Jonah, of course, does not do well to be angry. He didn't earn his status as a Hebrew prophet. That was given to him. I didn't earn the privilege of being your pastor. I didn't earn that privilege. I didn't earn the privilege of standing up before you and preaching God's word week after week. I didn't earn the privilege of sitting with you in the funeral home or in the hospital room or welcoming and baptizing your babies. I didn't earn that privilege. My goodness, what a gift that's been. What a gift that's been. Thank you. That was a, a gift from God to me to you. So often I walk around like I deserve some big thing, right? Like I deserve this or I deserve that. Maybe you do too. I deserve my older brother inheritance, even though I didn't earn it. 
You didn't earn your good looks. You didn't earn your big brain. You didn't earn your ability to make money and your portfolio and your rule keeping and your sacrifice don't entitle you to God performing for you or on your behalf. They don't entitle you um, to God doing your bidding as if you were, uh, as if he was a character on your stage. That's just what's true. And yet so many of us struggle with this giant sense of entitlement. And in doing so, we push God away. We see this in, in this word picture of the plant, don't we? This, this, really, this picture of the plant summarizes the whole book of Jonah. Jonah is entitled to a little bit of shade. It's hot out here, y'all. And God said, are you angry about the plant because it withered? What did you do to make the plant grow? That was a gift. Our entitlement fuels unrighteous anger, and so does our self-pity. Y'all know, know the self-pity song. I've sung it here before. Y'all know the self-pity song. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll go eat worms. Join in. Fat ones, skinny ones, little tiny bitty ones. Oh, how they squirm and squirm. My mom used to sing that to me all the time. Why? Because I came out of the womb an expert self-pity person. And I still am. And I regret that. Self-pity has never done me any favors but I love it. Don't you? Don't you love like wallowing in? It's like, it's like a drug. It's like, oh, give me some of that self-pity. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Plenty of examples in the Bible of self-pity. Sarah, the, the wilderness community. Manna again? Right? The older brother. And Jonah, my goodness, on that hill. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. You see the irony here? How dare you show them mercy, and how dare you not show me mercy? You find it hard to accept a situation you're in or a circumstance in your life? Do you, do you find it really hard to laugh at yourself? Uh, do you mull and muse over your problems all the time? Do you feel gloomy and depressed because of what life has dealt you? Do you feel like a victim? Do you crave sympathy and condolences of others? Or, or, or this one, do you, are you always comparing how bad your ailment is to the other people? Right? Do you get in one of those self-pity fights when someone's confiding in you and say, Oh, man, I had this thing. And who's like, yeah, that's hard, but you should hear mine. I will take you down. I am a self-pity ninja. Bring it on, y'all. I just got a couple months here. I can take you down. Jonah is full of entitlement, and he's full of self-pity. I, I deserve better treatment, but just, oh well, just kill me. The result of this self-pity is unrighteous anger. 
for the older brother and for Jonah. Okay, so what's at stake with entitlement and self-pity? What's really going on here? What's at stake? Um, for the Hebrew reader who first read these words from Jonah, for us, what's at stake? What's the point? What's God trying to say to us? What does God want us to hear and know? Um, and I think it's the same point as the parable of the prodigal son. I think God is raising Jonah's eyes and the Ninevites' eyes and the Hebrew reader's eyes and our eyes to the ridiculous, massive, unbelievable truth about the ridiculous, massive, unbelievable love of God for his people. The love of God, y'all. The love of God, my goodness, our sense of entitlement and our self-pity just absolutely shrinks the love of God down to this little bitty thing, right? I mean, where, wh who's the most important person in this story according to Jonah? Jonah. Everything revolves around Jonah and his sense of entitlement and his sense of, of self-pity, right? Everything, he, his, his square foot or yard or whatever going up six feet right that that's the center of the universe that God um, it, it exists to do my bidding I should get what I want self-pity everything is about Jonah and that shrinks the world down when we do that that is a very small world brothers and sisters and it shrinks down the love of God. God is saying, Jonah, sweet, beautiful child of mine, Jonah, don't worry. There's enough love to go around. Anyone ever have, uh, anyone ever have any parents ever have the scenario when you have your second child, you're like, oh, no. Like, am I going to still be able to love both of them? Y'all get me? Like, like I, I love this one so much, but, but then there's another one. And like, how am I going to do both of those things? And, you're, and what do you find? You're like, oh my gosh. The love that I have just exponentially increased. Think about that with God. God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. The, the, the love of God increases exponentially with every baby born and baptized into the family of God. The love of God increases and grows and flourishes. There is no limit. This is not a limited resource, y'all. We don't need to try to prove our worth for it. We don't need to try to, to squeeze it out of, of God as if he was a, a miser with his love. This week, I needed to be reminded of that. And probably you do too. I need to remind, be reminded of the vast love of God for me and for my family and for every one of you. How incredibly vast God's love is, even when we're prodigals and even when we're older brothers. That Rich Mullins movie, um, was really good for my soul. 
Um, he was influenced by Brennan Manning. Some of you may know him. He wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel. Uh, they were friends. Um, and one of the turning points, the turning point in the movie is when Rich Mullins is driving down the road and he's listening to a sermon by Brennan Manning um, on the, the radio. And this was what Brennan Manning said that, that really changed Rich Mullins' life. He said, I'm now convinced that the Lord Jesus will ask us one and only one question when we get to judgment day. And that question is, do you believe that I loved you? That I desire you. That I waited for you day after day. That I long to hear the sound of your voice. He goes on to say how, how we as humans block that love and shrink it down like with our sense of entitlement and our self-pity. We block this vision of the vastness and the ferociousness of the love of God. And then... then um, Brendan Manning says, I know your whole life story. I know every skeleton in your closet. I know every moment of shame and dishonesty and degraded love that's darkened your past. I know your shallow faith, your feeble prayer lives, your inconsistent discipleship. And my word to you is this. I dare you to trust in my love for you. When we do, our sense of entitlement and our self-pity wash away with our unrighteous anger. This is what God is saying to Jonah. This is what God is saying to Nineveh. This is what God says to the prodigal and to the older brother and to you and me. We are, brothers and sisters, just beggars at the door of God's mercy. And he opens it wide for us. Let's pray. Our Father, we need to believe this. We need to believe that as we're a prodigal, that you will come running to us when you see us. We need to believe in your mercy to the older brother. When we get persnickety and uptight and have the sense of entitlement and self-pity, we need to know that you still have open arms and a seat. You have a seat for us at the table. The fatted calf is for all your kids. We need to believe that because so often we don't. So often we are so clouded and your love is so small and minuscule that it means nothing to our day-to-day -day when it ought to radically transform every minute of every day. Forgive us of that, I pray, and fill us up with the truth that your ferocious, unmitigated, uncompromising love is for us. I pray over the next few months with these dear people, that you would um, help us all know that more than anything, and that, um, that you might bless us with that, that you might transform us by your love. And all God's people said, amen. Let's